Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, uh, Michelle, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program for caregivers' practical tips to cope with your loved one's bladder cancer. And today's program is a collaborative effort between uh, Cancer Care and the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, or BCAN, and you'll be hearing more from uh, uh, one of the uh, staff at BCAN, who will tell you much more about the um, wonderful resources that, that BCAN offers, and so it's a wonderful resource. Um, today's program is supported by a charitable contribution from Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson, and we want to thank them for their support of today's program. Now, we have on the program today over 305 participants. You come from all over the United States, from both rural, urban, and suburban areas, and we also have international participants from Canada, Egypt, Israel, the Philippines, United Arab Emirates, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well, um, and it's a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. Now, before we move on to our speakers, I'm just going to ask all of you just a few questions. And so, um, uh, and I'm going to start, um, they're just brief questions and they're yes, no questions. So those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to see the questions. The first question is, I understand bladder cancer and the important role of clinical trials. Yes or no? And the second question is, I understand the important role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team. Yes or no? And the third question, I understand how to cope with holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions in the context of COVID-19, social distancing, and wearing masks. Yes or no? And then the last of these questions, um, I know self-care and stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience, yes or no? I really want to thank all of you for participating in, this, uh, in these questions. It really gives us a good sense of what you know coming into the program. It's really important to us to have a sense of that. And now um, we're going to move on to uh, having to introduce our speakers um, who are wonderful. We have a wonderful team of speakers today. We're talking that we really represent the healthcare team. And our first speaker is Dr. Robert Svetek. And Dr. Svetek is Professor, Acting Chair, Department of Urology, Mays Cancer Center at UT Health San Antonio, MD Anderson. Dr. Svetek will be addressing an overview of bladder cancer, including the importance of clinical trials the important role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team in the context of COVID-19, helping to manage your loved one's treatment, including adherence and follow-up care, the increasing role of telemedicine and telehealth appointments, 
guidelines to prepare for these appointments to increase their benefits, including technology and your list of questions, and key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns. It gives me great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Statik. Thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, and I want to welcome everyone. This is really a uh, great opportunity for me to be a part of this, and I'm very thankful to be here. I want to first make sure that we are inclusive. Um, bladder cancer, uh, when we, we use that term, we are often including uh, cancer of the urethelium, which may include the ureter, the renal pelvis, or the urethra. And so if you or, uh, are suffering from that illness or are a caregiver for someone that is suffering from that illness, you're welcome here as well because a lot of what we talk about uh, reflects that disease. So it's really all of the urethelium uh, with a particularly higher prevalence in the bladder. So I want to start by saying, um, talking a little bit about bladder cancer. And um, the <clears throat> this is a disease that is um, commonly attributed to some exposure, to some environmental exposure that could be uh, smoking, but it could also be some type of uh, dyes or industrial compounds. But for a lot of the patients, we don't know what the exposure was. And we don't often know to what extent a small amount of smoking contributed. And so in many cases, we really don't know what the exposure is. And there's a great deal of research still looking at other causes of bladder cancer. But the most common way that it's diagnosed is blood in the urine. And the caregiver is often an important component of that initial assessment because the caregiver, in many cases, can push the patient to receive diagnostic workup um, when they have blood in the urine. And so um, one may undergo uh, an initial evaluation with uh, maybe a CAT scan or an MRI to look at the cause for the blood in the urine. Uh, and often a cystoscopy is performed where a small camera is inserted into the urethra uh, for men and women, and uh, a diagnosis can be made visually. The CT scan or MRI are often not good enough to, to look at the bladder, and so that's why a cystoscopy is needed. Now, Bladder cancer and its um, sister, uh, your ureteral or renal pelvis cancer, they come in lots of different shapes and sizes. And so there may be <clears throat> patients on the call today that are suffering or have suffered from non-muscle invasive, non invasive bladder cancer, which, which used to be called superficial bladder cancer. There's also muscle invasive, and there's more advanced cases where it's spread or metastatic. The treatment options for bladder cancer are highly variable. and depends on the stage of the cancer. So, for example, some tumors are relatively superficial and can be removed and require limited or no additional treatment. Other tumors are very deep-rooted into the bladder and require either bladder removal, maybe with chemotherapy, or radiation treatment of the bladder for um, the most effective approach. Regardless of the stage of the tumor, um, all of these uh, types of, of cancers have one thing in common, 
and that is that they are absolutely dependent on clinical trials to make improvements. And I want to talk for a moment about the role of clinical trials in the caregiver. Um, clinical trials are, um, are, are optional and are uh, offered to many patients with bladder cancer. And the reason that these are important and, and good for, good, in many cases good for patients is that they offer access to treatments that may or may not be available to patients w who are not on the trial. Um, for example, some of the, when the newer immunotherapies were, were being developed, um, the only way that you could get those were through a clinical trial. And um, these were very effective. We now know that they're effective. Um, and those patients that participated in those trials, uh, many of them did benefit um, because of their trial participation. So access to treatment is one. Number two, these clinical trials in, in the vast majority of cases have been vetted through experts and developed by experts so that their patients are getting standardized state-of-the-art treatment and state-of-the-art regimens in terms of their surveillance, in terms of the laboratory uh, and, and imaging that's being requested. So it's the best of the best in terms of the care that's given. It's been shown that patients that are on clinical trials get improved care because they have more than one uh, person evaluating the care because they get standardized treatments. So there's some benefit to patients. The other thing is that being on a trial is part of a team. You're part of helping patients um, beyond your current care. And so there is some uh, a giving to others by being a part of a, a, a trial that will help us to understand the illness or help us understand the treatment. The caregiver plays a huge role in clinical trials because they, we need their input to decide if the clinical trial is right for them to participate. Um, we often benefit from the care that they uh, provide in terms of assisting getting the patients to and from the appointments, helping us to understand um, the uh, uh, priorities for the patient and the um, feedback that we get for uh, determining the quality of life uh, is important um, from a caregiver's perspective. It's important for you all to know that if you don't want to be a part of a trial, that's okay too. And your provider, we understand that some patients are either not uh, ready or able to be a part of the trial, and, and, and that's okay. The caregiver has become increasingly important in this unusual COVID-19 time. You may or may, may <clears throat> you may have been um, participating in care through telehealth, and that could either be a telephone visit or a video visit. It's important to know that when I see my patient um, through either one of those telehealth visits, whenever they have a caregiver available or a provider available, uh, that that is always helpful because. Sometimes you need an additional person to help interpret the data or to ask questions that you may have forgotten about. So I encourage my patients to try to have a caregiver or their spouse, their uh, significant other um, available if, if possible. And there are strategies that we can use. I mean, in my clinic currently, we're not allowed to bring in an additional member to clinic because of the COVID concerns. So 
I often ask if it's okay to use uh, my phone, and I'll and I'll call the uh, a, a caregiver um, at the same time, and we can put them on speaker. Um, so that's one strategy that I would encourage you to, to use. It's important to know that if you are on a telephone visit, that you, um, you you're not that visit is allowed, um, but it it may not be confidential and, and a, compliant with all of the privacy laws. And so we do need your approval to proceed with the telephone visit, and your provider may ask you for approval for that. Um, the other thing is that telephone visits may or may not be around for a long time. There is some suggestion that they may not be covered by insurance after January, and so we may be forced to go through only video visits in the future. So I encourage you to um, – Try as hard as you can to learn the video visit technology and to learn how to use those because they may be required moving forward and telephone visits without the video may not be possible. What are some kind of key things to think about or to ask when, during your visit with your provider? So I think one of the things is um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to paraphrase, and make sure you understand something. One of the key kind of good techniques to have is, is this. Okay, doctor, let me make sure I'm understanding you correctly. And then you say exactly what you, you interpret. That will make sure that the communication is, is key and that you're not missing anything. Uh, another thing is, um, what are the, another question to ask, what are the available treatment options in this situation? That is a good question because it opens up the um, dialogue to make sure that the doctor is informing you on all the treatment options. A lot of times as providers, we want to emphasize one option that we think is best. And it's important that you are educated on the other options that may be available. So you might want to ask, what are the options? Um, along those lines, what clinical trials may be available? And keep in mind that the site that you're at, the doctor that you're seeing, may not have access to all the clinical trials in that particular disease setting. Um, and so um, that's okay. Um, you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go somewhere else for care, but I think it's just important to know what options are available. And if there is a clinical trial that's available, let's say 60 miles down the road, that may be worth it for you. If it's 300 miles away, it may not be. But, but knowledge and education of what's available is, is the key thing here. So um, that's in terms of kind of principal questions to ask. As we, what are we expecting in terms of the next um, six months, 12 months? Um, I do think that, that uh, video visits, telehealth visits are going to be around for 2021. And I, so I think that if we're not, if you're not engaged in television, uh, video visits, it's a good time for you to now to spend the time to learn how to do it. So uh, we do expect those to be around. I do think that the, the, the vaccination for COVID um, is going to be occurring soon, but it will take a long time to get everyone vaccinated. And so in the meantime, it's important for us to continue to use telehealth. Uh, and, and there will always be a role for in-person visits. I mean, no matter how good um, of a job tele, telehealth can do, 
I still need to examine patients in some situations. And so uh, keep in mind that we will still need to do in-person visits uh, in, in some cases. So in the last uh, a couple of minutes here, I just want to um, talk about the uh, managing, management of your loved one's treatment and adherence and follow-up care. So bladder cancer, ureter cancer, renal pelvis cancer, um, these are often managed with an initial treatment course, whether that be chemotherapy or surgery or radiation, followed by, this is the important point, followed by surveillance. So this illness needs long-term surveillance. And, and what I mean by surveillance is routine follow-up with your provider. Even after surgery, even if that surgery is major or minor, you're going to need a long-term follow-up. And those follow-up appointments are very important. It may be for some patients that they have to come back every three months to have bladder cystoscopies. Or it could be that you have to come back every three months to get CT scan and laboratory tests. Or if you're further along in your care, it may be that you only come back every six months or annually. But those, those <clears throat> visits are important because they are trying to identify relapses or cancer recurrence before it becomes symptomatic, meaning before you notice any changes at all, we want to find the tumor if, it, if it's going to come back. And that's why those CT scans, uh, the lab tests, and the cystoscopies are important because they can find the tumor before, uh, b b before we, you, you might ever experience any symptoms. The caregiver plays a, an important role in encouraging the patient to keep their follow-up plans. So I'm going to end my talk at this time and uh, turn it over to Sharon. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Sadek. That was really an excellent presentation, very informative, and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. And, yes, our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn. Ms. Flynn is an oncology nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, nursing research in translational science, clinical center nursing department, National Institutes of Health Clinical Research Center. Ms. Flynn will be addressing what research tells us about caregivers, the stresses, challenges, and rewards of caregiving, managing family, friends, partners, and traditions in, with social distancing, coping with holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions in the context of COVID-19 with social distancing and wearing masks, long-distance caregivers, and self-care and stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Oh, thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on today's call. And I would like to thank everyone on the call for taking time out of your busy day to learn more about bladder cancer and caregiving tips. And I'd also like to say I welcome your questions, and if you have any caregiving tips at the end of our presentation during the uh, question and answer phase. So I'm going to start with what research tells us about caregivers. So according to the National Alliance for Caregiving and the American Association of Retired Persons, or AARP, more than 53 million Americans are caregivers. And this is an increase of almost 10 million from 2015. 61% are women and 39% 
are men, and they include all generations caring for family members. If you feel like you're alone as a caregiver, know that in America, nearly one out of every five Americans is providing care to an adult with a, with a, um, with a health need. About a quarter of our caregivers are caring for more than one person, and about 61% of you are continuing to work while providing care. So pat yourself on the back for doing a job well done. Um, we know that caregiver physical and psychological health is very important while providing care. And now I'm going to discuss some tips with you about how to coordinate care and promote your own health. We know that being a caregiver is stressful, and one out of five caregivers reports feeling alone. And caregivers that feel alone also report higher levels of emotional stress and physical strain. They describe their health as worse than those who do not feel alone. And they report more difficulty taking care of their own health and feel that their health has declined as a result of caregiving. And so... I, if you're one of those one in five caregivers that's feeling alone, I want you to know that help is out there. Cancer Care and the BCAN, the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, are just two of the many organizations offering support services for people with cancer and their caregivers. And you'll hear more about that in our program. So I'm going to talk um, a little bit more about um, caregivers and helping you not feel alone. First, um, we said seek support from other caregivers. They may have some tips and tricks that um, the healthcare team isn't aware of. So I'll have you encourage you to tap into other caregivers. We want you to take care of your own health so that you can be strong enough to take care of your loved ones. And that includes taking your own medications on time and as prescribed, keeping up with your own cancer screenings, such as those for breast cancer um, um, and other cancers like colon cancer, um, and learning to accept um, offers of help and suggest specific things that people can do for you um, to help you. That could include going and getting groceries and having them delivered to your house. Maybe it's yard work. Um, maybe it's um, helping to manage um, the uh, insurance paperwork. There's all sorts of things that both family members and friends can help out with. And having a list um, helps organize your own thoughts into what tasks need to be done, and that way you can offer maybe one or two choices to the, to the family member or to the friend who is looking to help. Uh, the next thing is to learn how to communicate with your medical team. Dr. Stavtek talked a little bit about that, and I just want to highlight just four quick points, and that is to get organized for your appointment. Um, so if you're the patient going into the appointment, write down all of your questions and concerns you have before that appointment and bring that list with you. As the caregiver, you can help um, by maybe being described and writing down those questions and making sure that they're um, with your loved one when they go into the, their appointment. Or if you're on the phone call or telehealth visit, um, that you are perhaps taking notes during that appointment to make sure all the questions and concerns are answered. 
keep a list of all of your medications for your loved one. And that includes not only the prescriptions, but also any vitamins, nutritional supplements, or over-the-counter medications. And to make sure that that list is with them during the medical appointment. Um, during that appointment, please don't be afraid to take notes or ask questions. Um, we on the healthcare team are here to answer your questions. If we're not explaining something so that you can understand it, please keep asking us to re-explain it. Um, sometimes for me, when I go in uh, to my own medical appointments, I need a picture to be drawn of exactly what procedure is going to be done um, or about a finding, and that helps me understand what's going on with my own health. And before you leave from that appointment, just as Dr. Sopek said, um, be, know what the plan is before you leave um, your appointment. Do you need to have blood work or a scan performed before your next appointment or treatment? Um, if so, it, do you have that paperwork that you need to make that appointment? Do you have the contact numbers um, to schedule it? We know that caregiving is very hard work, and so I want to encourage you to take respite breaks, um, not just once a day, but as often as you can. And so a respite break is not waiting in the line at a pharmacy, um, but it's actually having the time to just kind of disconnect from caregiving for a period of time. Maybe it's watching a movie. Maybe it's going for a walk either by yourself or socially distanced with a friend of yours. Um, really just taking a break uh, to recharge your own battery. Please watch out for signs of depression and don't delay getting professional help when you need it. Um, that's part of the caregiving process is that if you're feeling anxious or if you're feeling down, please seek help. It's, help. it's only a click or a phone call away. There are new technologies out there to help you care for your loved one. These include electronic medication reminders. Um, it includes devices to help prevent falls, especially in our older adults. And then there's different apps or applications for your phone or computer that can help facilitate communication with the medical team, with making appointments, prescription refills, and even updating family members and friends. It's never too late to organize all of your medical information so that it's easy to find and that it's up to date. And then finally, I want you to give yourself credit for doing the very best that you can do um, in one of the toughest jobs that there is. There are lots of rewards to caregiving, um, including spending more time with that loved one. Um, this can give new meaning and purpose to your relationship with your loved one. I know when my mom had surgery, she had to come uh, stay with us for a couple months, and we forged a deeper relationship. Um, when I would see her before, it would be once or twice a month, and the kids would be running around. Um, but I had the chance and um, great opportunity when she was living with us that um, I could hear an entire story without interruption. Um, my 18-year-old self, when I was living at home, wasn't able to listen to her life story with much appreciation. Um, but myself as a 50-plus-year-old, um, I am. And so it was a great time to forge that deeper relationship and have discussions about um, upcoming treatments, um, end-of-life care, and anything that she wanted to talk about. And now I'm going to shift into managing friends and families, partners, and traditions with social distancing or physical distancing. Um, 
here we are in the United States. Um, all 50 states have a slightly different um, uh, kind of outline of who's wearing masks, who's not wearing masks, and what should be done. And so the information that I'm going to report to you um, comes from two credible sources. The first one is the World Health Organization, and the next one is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC. So if you have questions about COVID, these are two sources that you can go to to get credible, reliable information. And the first thing that they suggest is that we wash our hands. Either wash our hands with soap and water for 20 seconds, or that we use hand sanitizer for at least 15 seconds um, that has at least a 70% alcohol content. So anytime someone comes to your door, um, I grab my hand sanitizer at my own house, um, give my hands a sanitizing rub, and I put on my mask. Um, wearing that cloth mask over my nose and mouth so that it's covered. And then I ask people before they come into my home um, if I'm expecting maybe a caregiver to come into my house or, you know, appliances still break during uh, COVID. So if, we, if you have to have a repair person come into your house, um, you can ask them if they've had any symptoms of COVID-19 um, in the past 2 to 14 days. And so the symptoms are listed on those websites, um, but they include if someone's had a fever or chills, a cough, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, fatigue, muscle or body aches, a headache, a new loss of taste or a sense of smell, sore throat, congestion, runny nose, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. And so if someone has those symptoms, um, you might want to suggest that they don't visit right now or reschedule that appointment with them um, because they, they are showing at least one symptom, if not a couple symptoms, of COVID-19. And so to protect yourself and to protect your loved one, um, you might need to make um, an alternate plan. The CDC also suggests if you're planning on attending um, a gathering, um, if you have any of those symptoms yourself of COVID-19, to stay home. Um, or if you're waiting for test results to come back, to stay home and avoid that gathering until you have um, a negative test result. If you can, prioritize attending an outdoor activity over an indoor activity and bring your own supplies with you versus relying on your host to provide those, um, those supplies, such as a mask. I even bring extra masks and plenty of hand sanitizer. Be mindful of maintaining a, a physical distance of six feet or more from people that you don't live with in your household. If you can, you want to arrive early or at off-peak uh, times to avoid those crowds. This is especially important if you're going to the grocery store or maybe the pharmacy. Again, wear your mask. Try to limit contact with those commonly touched surfaces and shared items such as door handles and things in the bathroom. Um, for the shopping cart, um, many of the grocery stores have uh, um, sanitizing wipes that you can clean off the cart before you start pushing it with your hands. If not, you can carry those in your, um, in your backpack. And again, wash your hands with soap and water or use hand sanitizer immediately before or after eating food or touching any of those common um, surfaces. 
And so I'll move next into coping with holidays, birthdays, and anniversaries um, during COVID-19. So as the pandemic continues on, it's not just the spring, summer, and fall birthdays that will be celebrated um, and special occasions during COVID, but winter um, is now uh, coming quickly upon us um, here in the United States. And so everybody's going to celebrate um, a holiday uh, during COVID. And so um, during a serious illness, holidays and birthdays um, and family traditions become even more precious. And so I don't want you to skip that holiday or birthday or anniversary, um, but just find a different way to celebrate um, that occasion. And a couple tips I have for you. First, there's no right way to celebrate. COVID-19 has made us all be creative and think of new ways to modify our celebration and holidays to incorporate everyone. Maybe in the past we've um, played a game of football or gone ice skating um, to celebrate that um, event, and now we have to think of a different way um, instead of being in a large group. So think about different ways uh, to celebrate that holiday. Maybe it's uh, a Zoom or some sort of uh, larger web meeting um, with the entire family in different locations. Um, maybe it's a smaller context. Um, maybe it's um, getting together one at a time with neighbors um, via a online platform um, or maybe socially distanced outside. And if you are hosting um, an event, um, we just had Thanksgiving in the United States, and I know that um, many people scaled back. Um, they either had it outside or they just had their immediate um, household members um, attend that event. Ask yourself what can realistically be done right now. If you're caregiving for someone, um, the thought of having someone come and stay in your house might be overwhelming um, to cook and clean and uh, entertain that person. So think about what can realistically be done right now. Maybe having um, them stay at a hotel or um, some, or maybe visit just um, th through a phone call would be more appropriate. You want to remember to ask your loved one um, what decisions um, and for their input, uh, what decision they have uh, as to how they want to celebrate their birthday or holiday. Their experience is unique to them, and maybe, um, or definitely without their input, um, too many activities could be overwhelming. So in our family, my husband is the extrovert, so the bigger the party, the better to him. And I'm an introvert, and so naturally I um, gravitate more towards smaller groups. So just even asking um, how many people you would want on a phone call or a video, camera, or a video call um, is an important conversation to have with your loved one. And please remember to communicate to friends and family. They don't often know what pressures you're under in the typical day of your life, and they may not be sure of the COVID-19 restrictions um, for your area or for someone receiving cancer treatment. Help them to understand any restrictions by telling them um, what they are in your area and then asking them or um, telling them what help you need um, with your loved one. It can be hard to ask and receive help, but remember it's important to be grateful for the opportunity um, to actually uh, have help um, and that you can pay them back later when things have settled down more for you. Um, 
I try to encourage my patients to have a list, as I said earlier, of of tasks that would be um, easy to to delegate out to either a friend or a family member. Um, these could include um, responding to emails, um, updating websites, going for groceries, um, many things. Um, when I faced a serious health crisis about a year ago, it was so helpful to have a family spokesperson. It was my very good friend who was not my caregiver. Um, my husband was my caregiver and was just overwhelmed with um, uh, what had happened. And so he was happy to turn the communication um, component of caregiving over to my friend. And so she was um, answering phone calls and sending out daily emails, just giving everyone the update. And that was great because it allowed my husband to, to focus on my care. And then um, include your medical team. Um, if you have specific medical concerns that might impact your ability to celebrate, um, your team can suggest ways for your loved one, um, maybe if they're in the hospital, um, to, to celebrate, not just if they're at home. If your holiday traditions um, include fasting or eating meals at designated times, be sure to let us know. Um, it might not be safe. Um, for you to fast while you're receiving treatment for your bladder cancer, especially if you have diabetes or high blood pressure. And we are more than happy to work with you so that you can fully participate in a safe manner. Next, I'm going to move on to long-distance caregivers. And long-distance caregivers are anyone um, that's located anywhere who's not living with the person um, receiving care. And so long-distance caregivers can take on different roles and provide relief for the local caregiver or caregivers. They can help with finances, money management, or bill paying, especially as bill paying has gone online. Um, they can arrange for home in-home care by hiring a professional caregiver um, to provide respite care, or they can help coordinate medical equipment delivery. They can, they can provide emotional support. They can serve as that information coordinator, not only coordinating with friends and family, but they can also be your researcher um, to look up insurance benefits and claims um, or researching um, new medications or clinical trials. They can help create a plan to keep the paperwork in order. Um, they can schedule medical appointments and manage prescription refills. And uh, most importantly, long-distance caregivers um, you can have fun with. You can play games online or over the phone. Um, lots of different ways to have fun together, and I encourage it. And I'm going to conclude my uh, section by talking about self-care and stress, stress management and some tips to promote caregiver resilience. And so we've all learned in 2020 about resilience. And that's our ability to withstand, recover, and sometimes grow when faced with adversity. And so Stephen Southwick and Dennis Charney wrote a book called Resilience. And they outlined um, some ways to strengthen your resilience. And the first one is to tap into your social support, to connect with other people um, and accepting help. Um, when it's offered. And that could be a phone call. It could be going for a walk, socially distanced outside. Um, lots of ways to seek social support. Um, the next is to find a role model. 
Is there someone in your life that is a caregiver that has qualities that you would like to adopt? Connect with them. Um, learn about their tips. I know that uh, cancer care definitely connects caregivers together so that they can share tips. So take advantage of that. For some, finding religion or spirituality, such as turning to God or a higher power, and this can be either in a formal religious service or a private spiritual practice, can be very helpful in um, building resiliency. You might find inspiration in nature or through different arts, such as painting or photography. Maintain physical fitness. Now, I'm not asking you to go out and run a marathon, um, but I am encouraging you to stay as active as possible to improve your physical health and to either prevent or diminish the effects of chronic illness. And this falls right into maintaining your health, striving to get eight hours of sleep at night, drinking water, and eating vegetables. These will all promote health. And just as you're keeping track of your loved one's own medical appointments, I want to encourage you to do the same with your own appointments. It's easy to skip a pill or two and think that it doesn't matter or to skip um, a cancer screening um, appointment or your own regular medical appointment because, ah, it doesn't matter. But I want you to know that it does matter and you matter. It's easy to get overwhelmed or to feel anxious and depressed when providing care. If you are skipping or even tempted to skip medications or medical appointments, I want you to know that you are important. Please seek help and talk to someone about your feelings. Help is only a phone call or a click away, but you have to ask for it. And finally, um, my final tip is staying positive to try and let go of those distractions and focus what is important. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to stay positive when I'm waiting in a long line at either the grocery store or the pharmacy. And so a friend um, told me this tip. She said, well, why don't you hum? I hum um, my favorite song or holiday tune. And so she said it, it brings a smile to my face. And so I started it. So that's my latest tip is to, um, to, to just hum a tune. It takes my mind off the line that I'm waiting in and elevates my mood. And so in conclusion to all of the caregivers and patients on this call, I just want you to know that you're not alone. There are networks like Cancer Care and BCAN to support both the caregiver and the patient through this often difficult journey. Today's phone conference is just one of many resources available to you. So remember, you can do this. And I will turn it over to you, Dr. Messner. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Ms. Lynn. That was really wonderful and just a wonderful presentation. And I, the, the idea of humming is so wonderful, a wonderful recommendation for people. And, you know, we haven't passed on programs on um, how music therapy can be helpful to you, and I think that you've uh, brought that up in my mind again. And um, um, we will all be getting an evaluation at the end of the program. And if it's something you're interested in, Bernie should write that down so we can actually be sure to include it in our wish list of programs for 2021, actually. Um, I just, uh, it's, it, there are many things that we can do that are these, um, I think what, what Bish Flynn has really identified things that we can do that really um, can help us through uh, very, very hard times. And that's, um, so thank you very much for all your recommendations. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well, so thank you. And our next uh, speaker is Ms. Morgan Stout. And Ms. Stout is 
Education and Outreach Manager, the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, or BCAN, and they're a, a partner organization on today's program, a very important one. And if you're not familiar with this resource, Definitely, I hope you'll become familiar with it um, after you hear Ms. Stout's presentation. She'll be presenting on the Black Cancer Advocacy Network, BCAN's free programs and services, and give you all the ways to connect with them. So it's my great pleasure now uh, to, pre to uh, present um, my esteemed colleague, Ms. Stout, who will be speaking with you um, on behalf of BCAN. Thank you, Dr. Benster, and thank you so much to Dr. Svatek and Dr. Flynn for our wonderful presentations before this. I just wanted to cover some of the resources that are available for caregivers and also for patients on the Beacon website. Uh, it's really, really important, especially this year, to know that caregivers are not alone. And this year, we've been particularly focused on caregivers in some of our programs that we've made available. We have a brand new Tips for Caregivers booklet that's available on our website that we worked with caregivers to create, and it's got some really great resources and information in there from caregivers to other caregivers. Uh, we also put on a program that's a web-based program, and it's available to watch online, and it's just a candid conversation with caregivers that have been through the bladder cancer journey and talked about some of the things that they did to keep caring for their loved ones while also caring for themselves, um, how they managed some of those things that Dr. Flynn talked about with um, asking others to help them or uh, taking care of the, those tough conversations that you sometimes have to have. One of our other really great resources is called our Survivor to Survivor program. And while it is mainly used by patients, we also have several caregivers. And so if you find yourself wanting to talk to somebody who knows exactly what you've been going through, please reach out to us. We're more than happy to get you set up with another caregiver to talk about just life as you've been going through it. Bladder cancer is not a short journey, and it's really important to know that you're not alone through it. Our other really great program is actually an online community. So it's available to you 24-7. It is on one of our partners' websites, on the inspire.com website, but it's a bladder cancer forum, and you can go on and ask all of your questions or seek support or provide support for other caregivers if you're in a place to do that. Um, we also have just a plethora of information on our website, and we're happy to get you connected to any information in easy-to-understand terms about your loved one's diagnosis or side effects or really kind of anything under the sun with the bladder cancer diagnosis in the spectrum of the journey. So thank you so much for having me, Dr. Messner, and I am so thrilled to be a part of this. Oh, thank you for being a part of it, and and please, all everyone, um, we'll be sending you also all the information about BCAN and their website, and it's a just a wonderful resource, and the information that Ms. Stout presented is just a wonderful resource for all of you to access the booklet. They're all free, and it's a wonderful organization, So, and they, they specialize on specifically on, on bladder cancer, which is really important. It's a network, so... Um, I, I'm going to say a few words just about cancer care services um, for all of you. Um, so cancer care is, I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm an oncology social worker and director of education and training with Cancer Care. And Cancer Care is a national organization, and so we provide 
oncology social work support to people throughout the country. And um, what that looks like in terms of the services you can access is that we do have both a, a practical and financial assistance and a copay foundation as well to help support you. We also, you also can either call us um, on our, our hope line or you can um, visit our website and you can actually um, speak to one of our oncology social workers either um, on the phone or online in terms of your concerns or questions for support. Um, and we have uh, a number of online support groups that are available. And the nice thing about them is that they're not the online groups are not um, do not occur in like real time. So you don't have to be at a certain place at a certain time. You can pretty much post on those online support groups any time of the day. Our oncology social workers do facilitate during um, business hours um, Eastern time, but nevertheless, um, it's people find that to be who like online services a tremendous support. It's probably a program that has grown a lot um, over the years for some people. Um, and we also, of course, offer many of these. Uh, educational workshops. We also offer case management, which is a, a program that's incredibly important to help you with resources that you need um, and really getting, not just giving you a name of a place to contact, but we really walk you to the place. Uh, not physically walk you, but go with you either on the telephone or online to that place to be sure you get the service. And if they don't have it, we find the place. We have a extensive resources to connect you with um, and to be sure you are connected. So we won't just give you, if you ask for the case management service, you won't just get a list of places to call, but you will actually be, the social worker will talk with you about the details of what you need and then recommend some places and then help you together get to those resources and be sure you get the help that you need. So that's, that's a wonderful resource as well. In addition to the education workshops like this that we offer many per year, we also have publications as well. Um, so um, with that being said, um, it gives you a kind of a thumbnail sketch of many of the services that Cancer Care accesses. Um, and now before we, we enter the Q&A phase, we just have a few questions to ask you again, um, just as you uh, just to see, um, we, we now understand what you knew coming into the program, so to get a better sense of now what you know um, at the uh, as the program is not concluding yet because we do have the Q&A, but just to get a sense of what you've learned from our speakers. So the first question, and again, it's a yes-no uh, question. As a result of this workshop, I have a better understanding of bladder cancer and the important role of clinical trials. Yes or no? And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I feel more confident as a caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team. Again, yes or no. And the next question, there's just one more after this. As a result of this workshop, I am better prepared to cope with holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions in the context of COVID-19 with social distancing and wearing masks. Yes or no? And our final question in this uh, series is, as a result of this workshop, I feel more equipped with specific self-care and stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience, yes or no? 
Okay, I want to thank you all for participating in this, um, in these questions. You, it's very helpful to us in planning future programs, and your input is, is it really, we learn a lot from it, and I'm hoping that I mean, you've learned a lot from the program as well. Now we're going to have a question and answer period. I'm going to ask uh, Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board for this and to explain to you how to queue up for questions, and we're going to take as many of your questions as possible. Uh, Michelle? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Okay. Um, so we have some online questions. And so the first one, this would be for Dr. Sadek. Um, how does surgery affect my ability to urinate? Okay, good question. Um, it depends what surgery we're talking about. If it's um, uh, the initial biopsy, what often we call uh, a cystoscopy, which means looking into the bladder, with a bladder tumor biopsy or resection of the tumor, that should not affect the ability to urinate. Um, basically, that is um, you know, a relatively minor procedure where the tumor is being removed. Uh, and, and in some cases, it might help you if, if the uh, tumor is causing some problems with urination. Now, if we're talking about surgery with removal of the bladder, well, that is uh, <clears throat> a different question. And the you know, the bladder it serves as uh, two functions. It serves as a reservoir for urine and a uh, an ability to push the urine out. And so if you have surgery to remove the bladder with more advanced bladder cancer, then the bladder is replaced with um, a piece of intestine. And that intestine could be um, uh, continent where you, you actually have a pouch that, that is, is, doesn't, does not leak and actually stores urine or it can be incontinent where it drains into a, like a, an appliance, like a bag. So uh, it, it depends. And there's different, those different approaches um, are available to patients who have had their bladder removed. But it may be, it depends on the, the particular patient situation, the other medical conditions the patient has, and uh, that would require you know, a, a discussion with the provider to see which uh, type would be relevant uh, and appropriate for you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And so that would be a good question then. These are wonderful, uh, wonderful question and wonderful uh, answer by uh, Dr. Sadek. And then I, we would recommend, of course, that you take this information back to your treating healthcare team and so you have a better idea in terms of your specific situation. So thank you. And we have a question um, for Ms. Flynn. In this pandemic, I feel very isolated. I am living with and caring for my mother, who I love dearly. I do wish I could have a life outside the house. What should I do? You could uh, address this in a general way. It's uh, certainly a non-common question that people ask, but nevertheless, it's important. It, it is important. And thank you so much for your question. Um, you can definitely see why you are feeling isolated during this pandemic. I think we, we've all experienced periods where um, we have felt a bit alone. Um, and so I would encourage you to um, call upon friends. Um, during COVID times, we can pick up the phone. We can use a video call to reconnect with friends and family members. Um, 
I would also encourage you that if you have friends in the local area, I know you're taking care of your mom, you may have had to move to a different location, um, to get out and exercise. Um, there are plenty of ways online to connect with groups that are hiking um, or have similar interests that you can do outside, socially distanced, um, and I would encourage you to do that perhaps a religious or spiritual organization, um, depending where you are in the country. Some of those might be strictly online. Some of them might be um, being conducted outside, um, maybe inside, in person. Uh, look into those. Um, if they are online, some of them have coffee hours or ways that new members can um, become engaged. And um, uh, look in uh, that way. Also, if there are local caregivers in your area um, with different networks, um, with Cancer Care and the um, Bladder Network, that could connect you with a caregiver in your local area that maybe you could take the time to get a phone call and then maybe meet um, to just feel like less isolated. Great question. Thank you. Excellent, thank you. Um, and then this uh, question for Dr. Static: um, What, um, who is a candidate for neobladder? So that's a great question. In someone, so <clears throat> someone obviously that needs their bladder removed uh, would would be eligible for for neobladders. Um, there are some specific situations where a neobladder is not possible or not a good idea. For example, if the tumor involves the urethra, uh, then in that situation, you can't put the neobladder down and, and connect it to the urethra because uh, the urethra or a part of the urethra may need to be removed. A, another scenario is a patient who has, um, uh, let's say, poorly functioning kidneys that are... Um, not able to manage the higher acid load that you might have with a neobladder. Um, and the, the other thing about a neobladder is that in some cases it does not empty very well. And, and when that happens, you've got to be able to catheterize yourself, meaning you have to take a catheter, you have to insert it through your own urethra um, in order to empty the neobladder. And so I tell my patients, you know, if you if we do the neobladder, we just got to make sure that you or a caregiver could catheterize you if if there were a problem with the neobladder emptying. So those are kind of the three major things that we consider for the neobladder. There are some other kind of minor or less uh, common things that would preclude somebody from getting a neobladder, but those are the major ones. Great question. Excellent. Thank you. And um, those are really wonderful questions and uh, wonderful uh, speakers to address them. This makes it an amazing call. Thank you. Phenomenal that these, um, this is happening here. Um, and a question for Ms. Flynn. My father has bladder cancer and is at high risk. Um, we want to visit, as we always do for the holidays, and my parents both want to see their grandchildren in person. I think we all have pandemic fatigue. How can we celebrate together safely? Uh Excellent question. I, I agree. We all have pandemic uh, fatigue. And um, I think the, the first thing is to um, uh, know about the area that you're traveling to. 
Um, so you're taking care of your father. He wants to see his grandchildren. Um, what are the restrictions in your area? Um, has anyone had any higher risk activities? Um, so I have teenagers at my household. Um, we're kind of the definition of higher risk um, behaviors here. And so um, you kind of have to weigh those um, those options. Um, you can uh, talk to your healthcare provider if you need help talking um, over those options um, for some people in our local area, um, it's having a negative COVID test before they travel to other parts of the United States. Um, and it, you might even want to consider um, just holding off on celebrating um, for a little bit longer. You know, vaccines are coming around all to us, um, maybe putting it off for a month or two. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really difficult decision. And so I would say... First, know what the COVID precautions are in your area. Talk to your father's healthcare team second. Um, and then make sure that you're informed on um, either the WHO or the CDC website regarding signs and symptoms. And so if anybody in that household that you're traveling to has any of those signs or symptoms, or if anybody in, on taking care of your father does, then I would delay that for um, until those symptoms have resolved. I hope that answered your question. Thank you. I'm just going to ask Dr. Zadek to also comment on it because I know that sure. different parts of the country have a very uh, are trying to address this issue that's coming up for many families around the holidays, wanting to spend time together, and yet the issue of the issue of COVID. Um, so, if you could just address that too in a general way. Yeah, I don't. I, I agree with everything that um, has been said, and you know, local um, politics play a role, and local uh, regulations um, can can you know vary in, in, within the state. So, I think that you you know I would advise you to um, follow the local regulations and and recommendations. Um, and, you know. Uh, Playing it safe, in, in my opinion, especially for the cancer patients, um, is is the best thing to do. Um, and so, um, you know that that would be. And and I and I want to give you encouragement. You know, hang in there. What we are, I am positive. I'm, I'm optimistic that the the vaccine is coming and that we will be in a better situation this time next year. So I want everybody to to um, you know be optimistic. And hang in there, but until then, let's be very safe uh, for our patients and, and um, our family members. Yes, and I know that um, I know that you're all hearing also in the general media guidelines about um, you know small family gatherings. Um, um, can you comment on that also, Doctor um, Sadek, in terms of the um, concern of families going together who may not be seeing each other all the time? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the, the issues are. I mean, obviously, um, the, the problem is that you can't obviously uh, know who's infected because of the the time period from it takes from from the time of infection until symptoms present. Um, and so, whenever you're exposing yourself to someone new, um, you are uh, putting yourself at risk. Um, 
we're advocating, you know, we're following the guidelines, which include wearing masks, um, avoiding um, in-person visits or in-person contact as much as possible, uh, hand sanitize, uh, using, you know, uh, sanitizers for your hands, not touching your face. Uh, all of these things are, are advocated for my cancer patients um, because they are at higher risk, right? We do acknowledge that. The, especially those patients receiving chemotherapy or, or, or radiation therapy that can affect the immune system, they are at higher risk, and so we, we need to be very careful. Excellent. And, and I know that some of our families that we work with at Cancer Care, some of them are actually talking to each other on the phone um, because of the restrictions in the area, or actually um, some uh, are uh, using a Zoom technology or sharing pictures with each other or doing being creative like that, um, and so that they can actually, um, if they can't physically be together, they can they can see each other for quite a period of time. Some of those calls can go on for a while, and people can talk to each other and see each other, and it's really and it's, it can be quite um, a, a connection. Um, and Sharon, do you want to comment on that as well? Um, I, I think that's great. No, no, no. Um, to, to find ways uh, to connect, um, I, I'm in living in the state of Maryland, and so for us, Thanksgiving was particularly warm this year. And so I was able to gather with local, with local, very small local family members, um, and we had Thanksgiving outside because it was warm. I know as we're going into winter, it's a little bit harder. But if you can get together, if you if you need um, to travel, and certainly we all want to see our family members, um, and we and it's hard to do. If you can gather outside, it's um, uh, a little bit better than than inside. Um, and just as we heard from um, um, our other speakers, that the vaccine is on the way. We're very hopeful for it. Um, a year from now, we, we are really, really hoping we'll be in a very different situation as to where we can travel to see uh, friends and family members. Um, if, but if you can put it off, um, do. If you can't, um, you know, certainly um know the guidelines of the local area um, that you're traveling to. And thank you. And I have one last question. It'll be our last question. We are running over just a little bit. Um, at, as an, and this is for Dr. Svetic. As an at-risk at group, do you have suggestions for how to get prioritized for the COVID-19 vaccine? This has come up on a lot of our calls, so I just thought I would just address it here since someone has brought this up again on this call as well. Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I think you know it, this will be um, probably that the distribution of the vaccine will be variable depending on what where you're at. Um, generally, the approach is to um, is to get the vaccine to healthcare providers first, and, but it has to be given in a kind of strategic manner because. Um, there will be post-vaccination syndromes, including fever, uh, weakness, headaches. That's expected. And that will cause, um, uh, you know, in, in some cases, that the person vaccinated will not be able to go to work. And so we can't have our whole uh, healthcare workforce out of work, uh, you know, at one time. And so that, that vaccine will have to be distributed carefully and strategically. And 
at our insight, we're creating task force. We have a task force that is actually considering, you know, how to go about that and how to do this in an ethical manner. You know, who gets it first? Who is, or you know, which patients are the are the most important to target? Um, I hope that where you're at, that that a similar type of task force is being created to help with the distribution of the vaccine. The, I would reach out to your provider and, and you know, and, and ask them and the provider team, the healthcare team, um, for information. And uh, when, when um, the vaccine does become available, you want to uh, basically – uh, make sure that um, you're kind of keeping up to date with their process in, in terms of when are they going to start uh, vaccinating elderly individuals? Because um, uh, that, that would take place, the, so the most the vulnerable population will take place after the healthcare professionals. And so I, I can't say, uh, you know, how important it would be for you to be in tune uh, and informed of what's going on in your local situation, uh, that that will play the most important role in terms of you know knowing when you can get it uh, when it's available. Excellent. I have to. This has been a phenomenal call. I know we have many more questions in queue, but I want to thank our speakers. I also want to thank all of our participants who asked such great questions online. And I know, again, we could go on for another hour, but we, we need to conclude. So um, I just want to thank all of you for being on the call um, today, both our speakers and our participants. Um, you made this a very special call today, um, a very important one at this time. I also want to remind all of you that for those of you who asked a question or for those of you who um, have a question yet to be asked. We want you all to take the information you've learned today and go back to your treating healthcare team. We hope that the information you've gained today gives you greater confidence to, to work with your healthcare team about the questions and concerns, even like the last question, or actually all the questions. Go back to your healthcare team and ask them the question. See this as a bit of a role play or a trial question time, and then take your questions back to your healthcare team because they can, and, and today the team, our, our team of speakers represented the, the, the scope of the healthcare team in many ways. Also, do take advantage of BCAN, a wonderful resource for all of you, and Cancer Care Services as well. As we conclude today, although it's very, very, very uh, common to feel alone, we want you to know that you're now part of a real support network here. Um, we've mentioned two organizations today, but there are many, many others. And we will, when you get your Survey Monkey evaluation of the program, you'll get, of course, an evaluation of the, you'll evaluate the program yourselves, but you'll also get a list of resources that were mentioned by our speakers today. Um, and so that we hope that, that will give you some additional help as well. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.